make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. And welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, the host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom Podcast. I'm here today with a really important special guest, especially for the climate that we're in right now. Her name is Steph Harold, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to dive into our interview today. So Steph Harold has a master's of public health. She's a researcher with Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health, where she studies the portrayal of abortion on television and film in the abortion on-screen program. Steph has worked at abortion clinics, abortion funds, and in abortion policy. She has expertise in multidisciplinary research design and implementation and has co-authored papers on abortion stigma, storytelling, and abortion in popular culture. Steph currently serves on the board of directors of All Options and has served on the boards of Repro Action, the New York Abortion Access Fund, the International Network for the Reduction of Abortion Discrimination and Stigma, and Access Women's Health Justice. Welcome, Steph. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. I actually, I have goosebumps reading your bio. I mean, absolute chills. Given your expertise and given where we are in history right now, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is something a lot of us hoped was impossible, (laughs) and we're, you know, thrown back 50 years in time. How are you feeling right now? Honestly, it's been... um a pretty awful two weeks, um, no matter how much so many of us in the reproductive health rights and justice movement have been preparing for this moment, um, actually for a month since the um, leak of the decision. And then, you know, in reality for years, um, really since the midterm elections of 2010, that brought in um the Tea Party and kind of a wave of anti-abortion governors and these, you know, hundreds of abortion restrictions passing every year since then. So it's really a a culmination of um, this really awful legal environment that we've been in for so long. Um, But it still is really difficult to, to cope with now that it's here. Yeah, that makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Um, I was thinking, you know, as as I was researching you and we connected on Twitter originally and I, I saw you and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to her. Um, because so sweet. 
<laughs> it, with this climate, you know, it's I, I have a strong background in history, uh, a lot of Roman history, Greco-Roman history, history of Alexandria. And when we see rights taken away, the loss of rights, the loss of information, it totally influences culture. And that appears to be a time that we're living in right now, which is the the information is not reaching the women who need it. And we know for sure that information can reach people through cinema, through film and TV. And I would love for you right. to take us through a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the history of abortion and film and TV. Um, and of course, I can go back mentally like to Cabaret in 1972, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first, uh, was it the first depiction of abortion on screen? It was no. Correct. So yeah, abortion has actually been on screen for as long as Hollywood's been around. So the first depiction that we know of is actually a silent film from 1916 come on right Uh, yeah called where are my children you can watch the whole thing on youtube it's ridiculous um totally a product of its time but really incredible incredible from a historical perspective um that kind of loosely follows the trial of margaret sanger um it is all about a fictionalized version of it um, and is all about this man who discovers this lawyer who's prosecuting a doctor um, for providing information about birth control, which is illegal at the time, and mm-hmm. discovers that his own wife has been having these safe, illegal abortions kind of behind his back. <gasps> um, and it's all about what happens. Um, so that's it's very interesting. Abortion, though, like, is she the villain for having done this? Or Yes, she is absolutely, <laughs> like, yes, absolutely, absolutely the villain. Um and the the abortion provider is portrayed as this kind of charlatan, unscrupulous man who takes advantage of, of women when they're desperate. And then the woman ultimately the abortion, she's had several abortions, and then the the man is what he shouts at her is where are my children, which is the title of the film. Um, and they kind of live in this this sad life without any children, and it's all her fault. Um, and she's portrayed as this really selfish, self-motivated person, um, which kind of sets off, you know, the, the trend of how abortion is portrayed on film and TV in the following years. Um, we actually see the first television episode of abortion in the 60s um, on the show called The Defenders, a legal drama, um, which kind of, again, is a, more about abortion providers than it is about the people who actually seek abortion care, which is what what we see kind of in the beginning um, pre-row, um, the trend was really to, to, the focus was on abortion providers more so than on the people actually seeking abortion care. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did see abortion, but then we had MOD, right, in the se- in the early 70s, right before abortion was legalized nationwide. Um, abortion was legal in New York. And what's really special about that episode and that show is it's really the first time that the focus of the drama is on the person actually having the abortion. Oh, interesting. Um, so that's, and it's funny and it's heartwarming. I mean, it's B. Arthur, right? She's Right, character. it's B. Arthur, it's Ma. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Amazing. And for those of you who don't know the history, she's uh, one of the players who also ended up in Golden Girls, where she's exactly. more well-known for that role. Exactly. Um, and as we get into this, the, the 80s and 90s, we see a much more uh, professionalized focus on um, doctors, lawyers, cops, uh, on these shows where the, you really have the sense that they got pressured to show both sides. 
Mm. Like there's a Cagney and Lacey episode, for example, where Cagney and Lacey are kind of arguing about being pro-choice or being anti-abortion um, as a result of investigating a clinic bombing. Um, so you start to see some of the cultural, um, what, what kind of meaning abortion is having in culture, right? You start to see um, some violence against clinics being portrayed. Um, and then into the 90s, we start to see more of abortion being a, um, a personal decision. So we get to see a little bit more of a focus on, you know, the characters who are actually having the abortions. But there's a lot of what we call like averted abortion, right? Like a character who will consider an abortion, but then on the way to the clinic, she happens to have a miscarriage. Um, or we have a character, you know, that happened in Party of Five, or we have characters who will um, kind of think, will disclose a past abortion, and we'll talk about that with others, um, but they don't actually, you know, go through the abortion in the um, current time period of the plot line. Right. Um, That's interesting. I was watching Girlfriends, uh, which is now on Netflix, it originally mm -hmm. on AT, and there's an episode where one of the characters gets pregnant, thinks she's pregnant, goes through all the machinations of the decision. She's a lawyer. Does she want to give up her career? Is it time to have right. a child? And, you know, will she carry it? Will she get the abortion? And right. all those discussions happen. And then ultimately, oh, it was like a false pregnancy. Pregnancy, test. yes, exactly. Not really pregnant. And like all these decisions had happened. And then she's like, whew, breathes a sigh of relief. And I was like, yes, oh, right. a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yes. That's really um, so, interesting. So we get into the mm. 90s, more emphasis on the actual women, the decision. I know that for so many of us, especially in my generation, I mean, I was 12 when I saw Dirty Dancing. I was in seventh grade. <laughs> And right. I had no, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about sex, hadn't had sex education yet, didn't know what an abortion was, but was introduced sure. to the idea of freedom of choice. And then also the fact that abortion was illegal in right. time periods and the dangers of it and, you know, how, how women could ultimately be injured and even killed by getting illegal abortions. And do we have other depictions of that side of it on screen? Yeah. Yes. Um, in fact, often when it's, when we have any kind of historical portrayal of abortion, it's often of that time period. Um, and there's this unfortunate um, thing that happens where illegal abortion is equated with unsafe abortion. Mm. Very rarely do we see um, this, this part of history that's only just now being represented more, um, which is that there were clinicians and also, you know, non-clinicians, lay people who provided safely, safe illegal abortions in the 60s pre-Roe. Um, there's a movie coming out called Call Jane with Elizabeth Banks in it all about um, the Jane Collective, this group of, of women in Chicago who provided safe, illegal abortions, yes, learned how to do abortion themselves. Right exactly, yes, on yeah. HBO, Jane. On HBO, yes. I was exactly. just flipping through and kind of came across it yesterday. What is the documentary called? It's called The Janes, and it follows this group of women um, from in the in Chicago in the 60s and how they you know eventually learned to do abortions themselves to help people have safe, illegal abortions. And many of them had had um, unsafe illegal abortion. So they felt really motivated to make the experience different for other women. Um, and I say this specifically now because I think one of the big challenges will be telling stories of contemporary safe illegal abortion as we are moving forward in this climate. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So why do you feel that it's important that we see abortion depicted in film and television for our culture? Well, we know, right, that TV and film help people make sense of the world, right? And it's important to know what messages the media is conveying about abortion, particularly now when all we hear in the news is about, you know, states um, outlawing abortion, trigger bans, Supreme Court making it illegal, you know, and other states moving to make abortion more accessible. Um, it's really important to, to understand what messages people are getting in other places about abortion, right, from movies and from TV, um, because the truth is that the general public knows very little about abortion, right? Research finds that um, people often believe a lot of common myths about abortion, that it's very rare when actually it's very common, um, that it's medically risky when it's actually one of the safest outpatient procedures there is, um, that it's relatively easy to obtain an abortion when actually it's very hard in most places to get an abortion. Um, most people also don't know about abortion laws and restrictions in their states or are very confused about which ones are, are in place now and which ones are not. Um, and TV and film can really address and challenge some of this misinformation um, to give people a glimpse into who gets abortions and why and, and what that experience is like or should be like. Yeah, it's really interesting. How um, we have abortion, then we have the discussion about Plan B, the abortion pill, how that's depicted on screen. Did you see Plan B, the movie? Yeah, although I think there's a really important distinction to be made that there's Plan B, which is emergency contraception that right. actually prevents pregnancy from happening. And then there's medication abortion, which actually uh, stops a pregnancy from, from going forward. And then yeah, I don't even know the difference. Yeah, I don't yeah. Even, educate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, plan B is emergency contraception, right? It's something that you can take up to three days um, after having unprotected sex, and that can help prevent pregnancy. Um, and then there's medication abortion, so the abortion pills, and those you take after you find out you're pregnant to have an abortion. Oh, I just had no idea. So, what? Which one is prescribed, and which one is over the counter? And are how does that work? Plan B is over the counter. So that's the, the birth control. Okay. Um, usually it's actually pretty expensive, like mm. $50. Um, unfortunately, it really should be much less. A lot of times it also comes in like a plastic case. So you have to go to the pharmacist and have them take it out. Oh, so um, they, but, you have to be humiliated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yes, go get yes. the medication you need. Oh, geez. Yes, yes. Um, so that's, that's a barrier, especially for a lot yes. of people who are just, absolutely. just be too terrified. Yes, absolutely. And also for uh, quite a few different brands of Plan B, you have to be under a certain weight. I think it's around 160 pounds for it to be Whoa. most effective. And I think that, you know, the average weight of the American woman is much over 160 pounds. Oh so gosh. it's really unfortunate. Oh my um, I mean, it still works. Like it's just not as effective. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm thinking about small towns too, where like your family knows the pharmacist. Exactly. So you right. Have to go talk to the pharmacist. Maybe this is something you're going to be worried about gets back to your family. Yes. Um, luckily there are places, you know, there are clinics who can provide um, emergency contraception or, or plan B for, for free or at a discount. So that's great. Um, but medication abortion is not available over the counter. I wish it was, that would be incredible. Mm. Um, usually if you want an abortion by pill, you have to go to, um, you have to have it prescribed for you or, and take the first pill in the clinic and then the second set of pills at home. Although increasingly there are other ways to get, um, abortion pills, right? There's and this is where it creates a miscarriage. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I had a friend of who, who chose to do that and stayed mm-hmm. at home for a couple of days in order to take the medication. She got it from mm-hmm. her doctor and it was, it was intense. We yeah, it is. It can be. Food. Yeah, it can be a physically intense process for sure. Like you, so the way it, it happens, if you have an abortion pill, um, if you take the medication abortion through a clinic or through a provider, um, you'll go to the clinic, you'll take the first pill, which is mifepristone, and that stops the pregnancy from going, from growing rather. Um, and then you'll go home and about 24 hours later, you'll take misoprostol, which expels the pregnancy, right? And that's where the, the cramping and bleeding happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it can be pretty intense for people, um, but it's extremely safe. Right. Um, there, there are other ways um, that people get, can get abortion pills now too. There are organizations that you can actually order the pills from online. Yeah, I've been hearing um, about that. Yeah, one is called Aid Access, right? And they can actually send the pills to you. Um, Women Help Women, Plan C Pills, um, all of these organizations um, can send, you know, abortion pills have the have a better safety record than Tylenol, right? Um, but in many states, getting these pills online is um, illegal. So that's this piece where it's very safe medically, but it's very dangerous legally, right? And we're already seeing people being criminalized for having abortion uh, pills delivered to them by mail or helping someone to have their abortion um, by ordering pills through the mail. So I think this is um, something we'll, we really need to see depicted on screen um, so people have a better understanding of what the reality of medication abortion is. Um, that it's very safe medically, that it, it is risky legally, and that there are places that can help you. Um, there's this organization called If One How, and they have a, a legal helpline um, where if you have legal questions about self-managed abortion, you know, doing your abortion yourself with abortion pills, they can answer them for you. Um, so that's really great to know about. Okay, so we go back to the 90s when things start to shift, when we're showing the women who need to get an abortion or have chosen that this is their path. Talk to me about how it how it evolves on screen, what we see happening, because, you know, 90s or 30 years ago. The, the drama of the abortion story becomes less about, you know, will she get the abortion? Will she not get the abortion? Having to ask all the other characters around if they have an opinion about it. And it becomes much more focused on, you know, the character is going to get the abortion. How is she going to get it? And what does it mean for her life? Right. We see Olivia Pope get her abortion and it's really defining a defining moment for her in terms of her relationship with the, the president. Right. We see um, Christina Yang get her abortion on Grey's Anatomy, and it's a defining moment for her in terms of choosing herself and her career. Mm-hmm. Right? These are those are the kinds of moments where, you know, abortion becomes a way to show character development and to show growth. Um, and then in the last couple of years, we've really seen um, more of a focus on um understanding how people navigate barriers to abortion access in some of the films that are coming out. Um, so there's been Unpregnant and Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, um, and St. Francis and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like all of these different movies that showcase um, what it takes for someone to get an abortion and what that experience is like. Um, at the same time, you know, the majority of TV and film depictions that we see of abortion are um, of people who are younger, whiter, and wealthier than abortion patients in real life. Mm. And even That's though, really we, yes, um, and they're also not parenting, right? Most people at the time of their abortion are actually raising children already. 
but we almost never see that on TV or film, right? Um, we usually see a young white teen girl who's trying to get her abortion. Right. Um, which is a really important story to tell. It just can't be the only story that we see. Absolutely. Right? I, that's really interesting because for the moms who already have children, the consideration of whether to have another child, the cost is huge. The career impact is huge. I remember um, Fran Lebowitz talking about the comma that happens for women in our careers when we have children. You're going to have this huge comma. You're going to have this, you know, several years of interruption of your momentum in your career, whether you want to or not, it's almost impossible. Right to do both because you want to, if you want to be there for your child, it's very difficult to also be there fully full-time for your career. And that decision yeah. of choice for women, especially who are already parenting is, is considerable. It's another deep dive down the rabbit hole of, okay, I'm going to have another child and that expense and that time and that consideration. And it sounds like yeah, if I'm yeah. hearing you right, that that is an experience that's not being as depicted as much uh, yeah. on TV. No, absolutely not. There are very few times that that's, that parents have been depicted um, on film and TV. Some recent ones come to mind, um, like there's Paula in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm. Um, she has an abortion and there's this kind of hilarious moment where her son's, um, she's in her 40s and just starting to go back to law school after being a paralegal. Um, and she has, her sons are kind of in their you know, 10, 11, 12 um, and one goes to answer the door and says like, my mom can't come now. She just had an abortion. You know, it's like very, very sweet, <laughs> a very silly moment. Um, there's also Siomara on Jane the Virgin, who's, um, the first Latina grandmother to have an abortion, only the second grandmother on TV to have an abortion after Maude. Um, but that was in 2016, you know, many years after 1972, which is when mm-hmm. Maude came out. Um, she was, you know, had a grown daughter at the time of her abortion and her daughter supported her through that decision. Um, but yeah, that's something that we really don't see very much. Um, we really do not see very many characters of color, although that's starting to improve, um, just not at the rate that we would like to see. Um, and I think really the biggest piece is really not seeing, not seeing bearers to abortion depicted. Um, so when a character wants an abortion, she can often just get one. Um, and there's really no, um, we don't see all the barriers that a typical abortion patient has to go through, right? We often don't see driving hundreds of miles, having to get childcare, having to take time off work, having to come up with hundreds of dollars because your insurance doesn't cover the cost of the abortion. Um, we see a lot of drama about who to tell, how they're going to react, um, which is really important, but there's also these kind of like logistical, financial, nitty gritty pieces that are so defining of the American abortion experience that it just, it, it feels incomplete to not see them. And the fact that you need someone to go with you and not, right. not everyone has that person who they can, who they feel confident telling and saying, Hey, can you also take a couple of days off of work? If we have to, drive exactly. to go and help me get this procedure. And I, I imagine right. they're, they're, you know, thousands and thousands of thousands of women who that is who that that's their experience and it's going to define whether or not they can even get the abortion especially exactly. now especially exactly right now. so what role do you think hollywood needs to play right now uh, in television and film now that roe v wade has been overturned i think there's a chance to tell an opportunity and responsibility to tell 
bigger and bolder stories about abortion, much clearer stories um, to not just have kind of a single plot line or story arc or one character who talks about a past abortion, um, but to really broaden the scope of what abortion storytelling looks like, right? Like the amazing thing about abortion is that it has, it's a topic with everything in it, right? It's like love, sex, death relationships, religion, family, you know, like it's all there, <laughs> politics. Um, there are just so many different ways to tell those stories. Um, I would love to see, you know, entire series that focus on abortion clinics, whether it's like a medical drama or a workplace comedy, like Parks and Rec of abortion. Um, I'd love to see that. Um, I think, as I as I mentioned before, there's, you know, what, one piece I actually didn't say was that when we see abortion on screen, it's often surgical abortion. We don't see medication abortion, abortion by pill. Right. And then, of course, we don't see self-managed abortion. Um, I would love to see Hollywood really demystify that. Um, we're starting to see that a little bit more in the last year or so. Um, these really, you know, popular shows, um, Station 19 and A Million Little Things, um, both had medication abortion storylines. Um, and that is really wonderful. Like seeing shows that have those like millions of viewer audiences um, take on abortion as something that their beloved characters have, I think is great. Um, I would love to see the next step of having many more series actually focus on abortion, having more than just one character on your show have an abortion. Um, and, and telling the story of kind of the abortion um, movement, right? And not just like from the 60s and 70s, but, you know, with the abortion funds with the thousands of grassroots um, volunteers, um, the abortion clinic escorts, the people who house those who come to seek abortions in their states and get free housing and free childcare. Like, there's a lot of movement infrastructure that would be really interesting to see on screen. Um, there's a lot to tell there, I think. What would you advise to Hollywood execs who are thinking about, you know, whether or not to greenlight this show, this episode, because they're afraid of pissing off the GOP side of our country, sure. uh, the sure. audience, the, the viable audience, especially for, you know, cable television, network television, yeah. which is in everybody's homes. What would you advise? I think I would say, um, Despite what you may read in the news and the talking points of a lot of conservative anti-abortion politicians, abortion is actually an immensely popular and supported issue. It's not a divisive one. As my friend Renee Bracey Sherman says, it's a gerrymandered one, right? So the loudest voices that you hear from anti-abortion advocates are represent really a very loud vocal minority when it comes to the view on abortion. Um, and abortion is such a common experience. So many of your viewers have had abortions, have held the hand of someone who's had an abortion, have taken their sisters and their friends and their cousins to have their abortions. Um, and we all want to see that represented on screen. And it's really a chance to, to do something big and do something different. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of abortion as kind of this serious political downer issue, like, oh, a show about abortion, no one would want to watch that. Um, when I think the opposite is actually true, like people are really hungry for new stories about abortion, um, ways that showcase it as like this personal, loving, compassionate thing instead of as this politically controversial lightning rod. Mm. Um, 
and I think that you know that there are writers out there who who have the the passion and expertise to get those stories out there. They just need the resources and support of the networks to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And staffing more women writers on shows. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, largely male dominated and the men's experience of abortion is going to be on the side. Uh, It could be, you know, it's just not as front and center. I mean, it certainly is as a participant in the experience can be really intimate, but it's not happening to their body. It's not, it's not their choice ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think telling these types of stories now is so important to make sure that they're on screen so that it, it destigmatizes it. And I, I think about the, the stigma is something I thought about a lot when the Roe v. Wade came down. I think about my own, uh, my life, my friends' lives, pretty much all of us have had abortions. And mm-hmm. these discussions that we have are still a little bit in hushed voices. For sure, yeah remember the time and it's like splintered off from our daily lives, from our daily conversation. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's very true. Um, and I think that, you know, abortion stigma is pervasive, right? It's present all around us in all of our communities and our institutions and in our friend groups, like no matter how progressive we are. Right. Um, so I think it's really, you know, incumbent upon all of us to find ways in our lives to talk about abortion and make abortion normal and, you know, let people know like, hey, I'm a safe person to talk to about this. Right. You know, it seems like it starts with period stigma. I mean, just the fact that it's hushed, hushed. I mean, I got my period when I was 11 and no idea was happening to me. Hadn't had sex education in school yet, had not had discussions with my family about this at all. So I'm reliant on my one close friend who I'm with walking in through town. It happens in the middle of town. And I'm like, oh my God, what the, I'm gonna, am I going to die? What's going on? And she's, and she thankfully had already had her period. So she was like, oh, well, this is easy. Let me help you. We're going to go straight to the pharmacy. Uh, you can talk to my mom if you need to. And uh, she's like, oh, your mom's going to have like a big box of pads in her cabinet. And then, you know, we have these discussions, but really I'm just like, what? what is going on? And then there's sort of this like, you know, this is for me sixth grade and this is normal because as I talked to her and I, and she says, Oh, well, don't worry. These other three girls also have their period. You know, you're kind of in this club now, you know, and you know that this is, this is a totally normal thing. And we all have had this experience and um, you know, I wasn't the first in our friend group. And I know that girls are getting their periods younger now, you know, even more so than when I was young. And um, it it just seems like that stigma, that hush, hush, that lack of information, the fact that I hadn't had sex ed yet because sex ed wasn't happening until seventh grade, we're doing Mm -hmm. this huge disservice to, to our young people, uh, to, to the boys too, who don't have any idea what their friends and sisters and, you know, cousins are even going through. There's just no understanding of it. Totally. Yes. Now I have a a friend who's actually a college professor and um, teaches classes about sex and race and power. Um, And she told me recently that one of her, you know, uh, 19, 20 year old male students asked, you know, what contraception is. And I was like, wow, what a tremendous failure of our school system that, you make it, you know, 20, 21 years and you're asking what contraception is. Like how lucky that you got, you know, you have this sex, this class about, you know, gender and race and power to talk about this in um, and to find out this information. Um, 
but how, you know, even, even if you get sex education, it can be such a terrible, um, you know, curriculum where you actually don't learn much. You learn about, you know, that sex is shameful and that you should save it for marriage and that birth control um, can harm your body and STDs are, you know, life-threatening, like, in, you know, all this misinformation um, when really Have we you need like those movies that are being yes let's talk about it because i'm so curious has it evolved you know or are we in the same place we were 30 years ago what are those films like now for the kids who are getting sex sex education in the united states oh well i think that yes those films but what people are getting in terms of sex education right now um i think it really depends on where you live and what uh, if your state allows comprehensive sex education, right? We know in Florida now, in some places, you're not even allowed to talk about um, LGBT relationships, right? Much less learn about contraception and consent and sexuality in a healthy way. Um, so unfortunately, kind of similar to abortion, where access depends on where you live, it's similar with sex ed. Like depending on where you live, you either get, you know, some version of comprehensive sex ed where you talk about you know, anatomy and also consent and also birth control and pregnancy, um, or you get this kind of shaming abstinence only um, oh. curriculum. Right. Um, so it's um, pretty awful. Um, I think it does, a, as you were saying, like a real disservice um, to young people really withholds information they need to be these, you know, fully um, healthy human selves. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's really interesting how much the media changing state by state, you know, district by district totally gives kids a completely different understanding of their own bodies, of how reproduction works, you know, of what even abortion is, because certainly mm -hmm. that's gonna probably not be in the curriculum. No. Sex ed, nope. <laughs> right. Even though it should be, right? Like, right, it should be. Sex ed is about oh, sex. Right. One of the consequences of sex is pregnancy. Absolutely. They should talk about what, what, what can happen and what your options are. It's really interesting. You know, when I was uh, 16, uh, I was invited to go be a speaker at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Uh, so a group of us from my high school went down for the Earth Summit. I was a very um, prominent activist. I had founded the Youth Division of the Humane Society of the United States, and a, a group of us went down. That's and um, we traveled through Brazil in addition to speaking at the summit. Um, we were like going, we were teaching actually med meditation because I was part of like a really woo-woo high school. So here we are going through Brazil, teaching meditation. We're going to the South. We're going to, you know, some of the coastal communities and then inland. Um, and we're going all over. And we had the experience, especially in Rio de Janeiro, of working within some of the favelas, which are the poorest communities in mm -hmm. Brazil, and especially around Rio de Janeiro, they have a phrase called luxu e lixu, which means trash and luxury, which means there is no middle class. You're at the bottom of the world or you're at the top of the world and there's nothing in between. And we would go back and forth between, we'd be staying at some penthouse in Rio de Janeiro and then go into these very impoverished communities where you know people have nothing. And so we were there teaching med meditation. And within in the first 10 minutes of the first group of amazing kids, mostly girls who would come to see us and they'd sit with us, we'd be sitting on the dirt floor and just chatting. 
And like, it was immediately apparent that we should not be teaching meditation, that we needed to be teaching sex ed. And we totally pivoted because their questions were like, they they didn't even know what their periods were. They're like, I'm bleeding. Am I going to die? You know, when am I going to die? What's happening to me? They didn't understand. And then we were talking about, you know, their understanding of sex. Well, do you know how babies are made? You know, do you know how you get pregnant? Do they have no understanding education of this? So like, oh, it all you only, and this was the prominent, uh, like, thought in these communities was you only get pregnant if you have sex for more than one minute. That's when you get pregnant. And that was the belief system of a lot of the favelas that we traveled through. And we were like, okay, wait a minute, (laughs) let's talk about this. And it brought up so many questions uh, and, and discussions, healthy discussions in the group that we were traveling with about just how important education is and where we can see education. And I, it's overlooked sometimes that film and television are they're educational, they're forward thinking and can be, and can be super compelling in these areas where we need to have more discussion, uh, where we need to see more representation. Uh, And abortion seems like one of those areas where we could see a lot more representation in film and TV of the types of, you know, variety of experience that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, there's so much to say um, about that, but I think one one big piece is is a, a lot of that those same kind of beliefs about abortion, not just about abortion, but about sex, are, are really prevalent in the U.S. too, and not and among everyone, right? Anybody who doesn't have comprehensive sex education, um, who's kind of told from a young age that sex is shameful, so don't ask about it. Um, no matter your class, no matter your race, no matter your gender, like a lot of people are getting that message, um, especially you know at their churches. Um, from their parents, from their from their friends, even who heard it from their parents too. Um, so that kind of message really tra- can transcend race and class, um, and really, you know, gets to. Uh, I hope that the, the internet has helped um, provide a way for people to get more accurate information. Um, but I think that there's really a long way to go in terms of you know making sure people have access to the the information that they need. Can you advise where writers and showrunners should go to get more information about how to build episodes on screen around abortion? Yeah, um, well, my colleague Gretchen and I will often talk to writers' rooms um, and we'll kind of be like the um, abortion storyline doula, you know, doulas, where we'll kind of say, <laughs> Love like, okay, what, what, what information do you need if we... If we can't give you, you know, the, the right information, we'll connect you to abortion providers or abortion patients um, or researchers who can share, you know, the, the information that you need in order to make something, you know, accurate or interesting or, you know, to make sure that whatever you're thinking of happening in your plot line actually reflects, um, you know, the laws of the place you're writing about or the experience of the people you're writing about. Um, there's also this wonderful organization um, out of USC called Hollywood Healthy Society. And they often um, will partner with writers on a a number of different health issues, um, whether it's abortion or um, smoking or diabetes or, you know, like any kind of health issue um, to connect writers and producers and showrunners to um, experts to make sure that they have the information that they need. Oh, that's so helpful. That's really, that's really fascinating. I didn't even know that that was available as a resource. And it's so great to find where those resources are so that we can, you know, create authentic stories on screen. I I love hearing that. 
Um, well, let, how can we how can we show how can we show women's reproductive health and abortion on screen in a way that's going to influence culture going forward now that Roe v. Wade's been overturned? Oh my goodness! Um, I think there's a lot a lot we can do. I think first, actually, it's one step we can take is actually moving away this, from this idea that it's just a women's issue. Yeah. Um, I think first is actually just not accurate, right? Because we know all kinds of people have abortions. We know non-binary people have abortions, trans folks have abortions, queer people have abortions, uh, queer women have abortions. And those are things and experiences we never see on screen either. So I think that's one piece. Um, but the other side of that is also kind of like you were saying earlier, like cisgender men have abortion experiences too. And it's not that they need to be the center of any story about abortion, but it would be helpful to see how men's lives are made better by abortion. That's something that we rarely see as well. Um, not just how, you know, um, the people who have abortions get to have these kind of full lives um, after their abortion, whether it's like the families that are made possible for them later because they had their abortions, the careers, the education that's made possible. Um, but for men, that's really important too. Like behind every successful man is like a couple of abortions he had when he was a teenager. You know, like, why don't we see that? Oh my God, that's a, that's a great pull quote right there. <laughs> behind every successful man are a couple abortions. <laughs> yeah, that he was part of as a teenager or a young adult, right? Like, why don't why don't men talk more about that? Um, and I understand, obviously, if they feel like it's not their story to tell, right, because it didn't happen to their body. But right. in, you know, with the support of the person who actually had their abortion, they should be able to talk about it. Um, and I really feel like that, you know, that's important to highlight, too. That's a really that's a really good point. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about next is the the right to choose. And the way that we are depicting the decision-making that goes into abortion on screen. On Twitter, we're both on Twitter, and I'm sure you're really active there, as am I. And there's so much discussion about, you know, the the imperative of having access to abortion if you've been raped, if there's been incest, if you have a medical emergency that would like threaten your own life if you don't get this abortion. But let's talk about women's right to choose on screen because I feel like sometimes it's like, well, hey, this is this is my life. This is my right to choose. And I, I, I want to choose maybe my my own career, my own adventure, my, my existing children, you know, to prioritize. Talk to me about that uh, and how we see it on screen. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, yeah, that's a really important point. And I think now that we're kind of back even before square one in terms of abortion rights, you know, yeah. kind of in, in the real world, not just on screen, um, we're going to have these really devastating conversations about like, okay, well, at least someone should have the right to abortion if they've been raped. At least they should have the right to abortion if they're going to die right. um, as a result of carrying the pregnancy to term. When in reality, right, anybody should be able to have an abortion for any reason at any point in pregnancy, right? It's just really tragic um, that we're back at this place of arguing, you know, and hoping for the most basic protections right? Um, instead of, you know, the full human rights that we deserve. That's oh, um, so terrifying. Yes, it is terrifying and depressing. Um, but on screen, when we see people, 
Um, and we actually have it, this interesting phenomenon where abortions as a result um, of rape are actually way overrepresented on screen compared to um, the people who have abortions as a result of rape in real life. I think that that statistic is about 1% compared to about 13% on screen. So oh, it's just this vast overrepresentation. Yes, for wow. the drama, for sure. Um, we also see on screen um, um, much more representation of people seeking abortions for education, to pursue their educations, to pursue their careers, um, which obviously, you know, happens in real life. Um, but what we don't see on screen is, as I mentioned before, people having abortions as a result of, you know, wanting to care for children they already have because they don't want to have another child with their current partner or, or you know, whoever um, is part of the pregnancy right. um, because they, the pregnancy is mistimed, like they just don't want to be pregnant now. And most importantly, and what we almost never see on screen because they can't afford it. Right. Yeah. And the, the truth is, we don't see a lot of shows that are about about people struggling to make ends meet. Um, but those are the folks who who, who have abortions. Right. Um, people who really can't afford um, to have a child or have another child. Um, and when we see things, when we see represented on screen, right, that the most common reasons for abortion are about career attainment or educational attainment, uh, we're really erasing a lot of the structural oppression that people face day to day. We're erasing, you know, what it's like to experience poverty, um, what it's like to experience food insecurity, like all of these things that really make up the context of why someone is seeking an abortion. And instead, people get this impression, this like stereotype um, of a person who has an abortion as someone who's just thinking for themselves, um, which obviously like who cares the reason for having an abortion? That's the right reason for you. That's but we right. shouldn't only see that. We should also see, you know, the moms having an abortion because, you know, they, they have to prioritize the kids they have or the person who doesn't have kids yet but, and wants one in the future just can't afford one now. Um, all of those stories are important to see on screen to really give that context. Like this isn't just an individual issue. This is a structural issue, an institutional issue. Say more about that, because I don't know if all of my listeners really understand the structural institutional issue behind abortion when we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the personal experience behind it. Right. Absolutely. So I think part of the context that's really needed is showing the, the environment that creates, you know, the need to access an abortion. Right. So for a, a lot of people, when they find out that they're pregnant, um, they may actually want to carry the pregnancy to term and parent, but they just can't afford it. Um, and I think that's something that we really don't talk about enough. Like we need access to abortion for whoever wants it and for any reason at all. But for people who have an abortion because they can't afford um, to carry a pregnancy to term and they want to, it's like this really unfortunate situation, right. right? Like no one should be in that circumstance. People should be able to have the families that they want when they want them, have the resources that they need to parent. Um, and I think that's something that's, that kind of nuance is kind of tricky to pull apart and show on screen in a way that doesn't feel like, you know, um, you're capitulating to this anti-abortion narrative um, or you're capitulating to, you know, you're trying to flatten the really complex narrative. Um, it's difficult to show, but I think really important to kind of get at um, kind of what, what a lot of us in academia call like the social determinants of health, right? Racism, transphobia, poverty, classism, sexism, all of these things that kind of undergird people's um, health outcomes. 
Well, it's really fascinating. I so have enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you feel you would love to position in terms of this conversation right now? Um, I think the one thing that I'd say is that there's this kind of common narrative that, you know, abortion is not depicted enough on film or on TV. And I think that, you know, it's important to say that that's, that's not true. We have like a hundred years of Hollywood um, engaging with abortion stories in, in ways that, you know, both um, reflect social myths of the time, perpetuate, you know, social myths, and also kind of address and transform some, some of the stereotypes associated with abortion. Um, and I think it's really incumbent upon Hollywood now to really take up that mantle um, and this opportunity to really, you know, in some places, these these stories that people see on TV will be the only way that they can get accurate information about abortion, right? Anti-abortion politicians are now trying to um, make it uh, illegal to share information about abortion in some places, right? So it, it's really up to um, media makers to take that on and, and showcase this showcase how safe abortion can be, um, especially um, medication abortion. Well, this has been a really inspiring conversation, a super dark time in United States history. And I, you know, I feel optimistic that at least we do have Hollywood. We do have free speech. Uh, we have film and television as a place to have these really important conversations and to explore these issues. Steph, thank you so much for your time today. How can people reach you? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, they can reach me on Twitter um, at Steph Harold, H-E-R-O-L-D. Um, they can also email me. You can find my email at abortiononscreen.org. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.